Today I begin a new series called Why We Believe. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking on the subjects of why we believe certain things, why we believe in God, why we believe in the Bible. We're going to be talking about why we believe in biblical morality. We're also going to be talking about why we believe in the traditional family. And then the last Sunday, we're also going to be talking about why we believe in America, and I still do believe in America. So I'm going to ask you this morning, take your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And as you're doing that, let me say hello to the campuses today. I'm thankful for what God is doing. I'm grateful for every time that I hear the good news that comes from each campus. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries. And I believe that God has something for you. So over the next few weeks, as we join together and talk about why we believe, I'm hoping that you're going to be at every service to receive what God has. Now today we're going to talk on this subject of why we believe in God. Now, here's, here's the deal. Over the next few weeks, let me explain something to you. There is no way that I'm going to be able to exhaust any of these subjects. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is kind of apologetics. Now, the word apologetics does not mean I'm apologizing for what I'm going to say. The word apologetics is giving a defense uh, of a truth. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing that. But there is no way under the sun that I'm going to be able to give you enough about God or about the Bible, etc., that is going to give you everything you need to know. So we're going to be giving you some, uh, some handouts and some things over the next few weeks that will help you, some places you can go, some websites, some books, etc., cetera, uh, that will help you. Today, though, I'm going to talk about why we believe in God. Here's what I know. Every Christian needs to have a firm foundation that they stand upon. And so one of those is God has to be the central focus of what we do. The book of Genesis, the first chapter and the first verse, it's a very familiar passage, but that's where we're going to start this morning. I promise not to preach from Genesis to Revelation. We'll start in Genesis, all right? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's interesting that the Scripture does not try to prove the existence of God it just asserts it, it assumes it, it declares that the knowledge of God is universal. It just says to us, in the beginning, God. In other words, get it, let's move on, let's move into everything that God has for us. Now, here's what we understand. God is invisible, uh, God is without parts, He's without body, uh, He's without passions in the way that we understand passions, and therefore, He is free from all limitations. Having said that, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to wrap my brain around. It's, it's hard for me to understand this God who is so far beyond anything that I can comprehend. And so the New Testament tells us that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, Jesus, I can understand. God is a huge concept. It is something that you can spend a lifetime trying to understand, and you probably will never wrap your brain completely around it. But Jesus, in his humanity, walking upon this earth, living a life of a sinless yet uh, a human being, he lived this life upon this earth to give us an example of who God is and how God operates. Now, by, by definition, this, this infinite, eternal being has always existed. Before time began, God was. Before there was ever a beginning, and after there is an ending, God still is. We, we deal in life, in the process of life, we deal in day in and day out. We are living life in time. 
It's, it's divided up to months, to days. Uh, it's, we've got seconds. We've got minutes. All of these things are divided up. And yet God dwells in the eternal now. God has no time. And so as we begin to look at that, there are some things about God that I want to give you kind of to set this up today. And in the last part of the sermon, I'm going to show you how that you and I can know that there really is a God. First of all, you need to understand some things about God. First of all, God is omniscient. The word omniscient means that God's, this is God's ability to know and to understand all things at the same time. In other words, God knows what you ate today for breakfast, but he also knows the greatest mysteries of the universe. God is omniscient. God knows everything. Now, for some of us, that's a little scary. Because we understand that if God is omniscient, he knows everything about me. We'll talk about how you can get free of that in a few moments. The second thing about God is God is omnipotent. These are words that we are probably familiar with. The word omnipotent means that God is all-powerful. And I know the question that arises when you hear that. Well, if God is so powerful, then how do bad things happen to what? Good people, right? But here's how bad things happen to good people. The God who is all-powerful has chosen to limit himself to mankind. He has chosen to give us free reign upon this earth. And so therefore the book of Genesis also tells us that man chose to sin. Man chose to walk away from, from what God had established in goodness. And so therefore all kind of things entered into this world. And so yes, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation. In other words, in this world there's going to be trouble. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be problems in this world because of the fallenness of man. So yes, God is all-powerful, but God chooses to limit himself to mankind. And then last but not least, God is omnipresent. In other words, wherever you go, there God is. God is present everywhere. In fact, one of the Old Testament writers said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. He said, I can't get away from you. I can't go. There are many of us who have encountered that. It's like we're trying to run away, and the further we run and the faster we run, the more he's there when we get there. And, and so we understand that he is omnipresent. So those are kind of the characteristics of God. But there are also moral characteristics that I want to share with you just for a few moments today as well. The, the first moral characteristic is that God is holy. In other words, God is above, and he is apart from anything that is unrighteous. You cannot say that God has tempted you with sin, the Scripture says, because God does not sin, and neither does he tempt you with sin. Why? Because he is holy. There is nothing in God that is unholy. He is completely righteous. He is completely pure. He is completely proper. But not only is God a God of holiness, God is also a God of love. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 says God is what? Love. Not God has love, God is love. And you need to get a hold of that today because sometimes we struggle with this whole thing of does God still love me? Let me help you this morning. The answer to that question is yes. Well, you don't know what I did. Doesn't matter. He is love. Well, you don't know where I came from. Doesn't matter. He is love. Well, you don't know what's been going on. It does not matter. He is love. So if you're wondering today, does God love you? Yes, he does. He loves you. And so as we look at that, we also find out that God, uh, one of his characteristics is that he is a God of mercy. Now, what does that word mercy mean? Here's what mercy means. It, it means that God does not give us what we deserve. 
We deserve death, Scripture said. You and I, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Scripture says that the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. So we deserve death, but God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. And I love this part of the Bible where it says that his mercies are new every morning. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that gives me a lot of hope. Because I may have wore it out yesterday. But I got up this morning. Oh, some of you are way too holy. I got up this morning and there was enough mercy this morning for everything I need in my life. And so his mercy doesn't give me what I deserve. It gives me what I don't deserve. Then there's another aspect of God's moral character. And that is a word called grace. Now grace means he gives me what I don't deserve. And that is, he gives me eternal life. Mercy, he doesn't give me what I deserve. Grace, he gives me what I don't deserve. And he gives me heaven. You and I, as believers today, if you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ today, you have the assurance in your life that Jesus Christ has given you life. And the Bible says in John 10, 10, life more abundantly. You can have that assurance today. But one other aspect of his moral character today is the word justice. See, the word justice balances it all out. God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. That means he is going to give forth correct treatment. So you and I need to understand that, that there is coming a day that the Scripture says we'll all stand before God and we will be judged. How will we be judged? We will be judged by His Word. We will be judged by His mercy. Did we receive it? Did we receive His grace? On and on and on. But justice will be met when we come into contact, when we come to that place called the judgment seat of Christ. So I, I'm glad to know that today. There's grace, there's mercy, there's love, but there's also the justice of God. Now, there are many ways, and over the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about five of them. There are many ways to validate the existence of God. There, there are some of these that I will use today that you may have heard before, but hopefully I can bring some insight into your life to show you that the existence of a supreme being is not something that you have to just go, well, it might be, but that genuinely you can come to that place of saying, you know what, I believe that there is a God and I know that he is real. Now, I want to say something to you. There are a lot of people in this world who will tell you there is no God. But let me explain to you what the scripture says about that person. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So in that sense, what you have to understand is, is that from day one, the word of God already has directed itself against those who would say there is no God. Now, there, there are some aspects today that we will talk about. The first one is, is the term, and, and again, from, and from an apologetic sense, there is the term called causation. Now, just write that down. I'll explain it to you. Well, here's what that means. One of the basic presuppositions of science is that every effect must have a cause, right? There, there, there's a cause for everything. There, there's, a, there's a cause. Therefore, everything in existence, there had to be a first cause. In fact, you, you have to understand, what started this whole universe, there had to be a cause for it. It's, it's interesting that the greatest scientists on the face of the earth will tell you they believe that the universe had a beginning. 
Now, they, they, will, they will maybe disagree with what I say, but there is no scientist worth their salt that will not tell you there's a point in a time somewhere where the universe had its beginning. Now, they refer to it as the Big Bang. Now, I, I don't care why you refer to it. See, some of you are nervous when I say You say, do, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? Yes, God said in Big Bang there was. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to me how it happened. It, you know, if, if God spoke it and there was a big bang and it blew everything up and then things began to happen, I'm cool with that. But, but I definitely believe that God was involved. See, here's what you have to understand. The universe has not always existed. I mean, think about this. Think, think about one day, uh, how, how, many of you, how many of you have noticed that your garage has a way of, of just collecting things? Anybody notice that? I mean, when you move into a house, it's clean, it's pristine. But, but over, in fact, I remember when we first moved in our house, we had some friends over, and, and our garage was, I mean, it was immaculate, it was nice. And, and, and the wife said to Sherry, she said, man, your garage is so clean and so nice. And I just saw them recently. She said, I still remember how clean your garage is. I said, you ought to come now. <laughs> right? Because you just kind of throw stuff. You don't get it, it doesn't get all the way in the house and whatever. Now, how crazy would it be to think all that stuff that's just laying around in your garage that you're going to walk out one morning and there's going to be a brand new Maserati that just came together? You, you, you don't know how it got there. It just, bang! Here's what I think. I think people who believe in true evolution have greater faith than I do. Because I think it takes more faith to believe that nothing can create something than that something created everything. See, I believe that there was a cause, and I believe his name, you can call him Jehovah, you can call him God, you can call him Jesus. All that I know is I believe that in the beginning God said, and there was, that there was a cause to the creation of this universe. And so as you look at that, how you, what you understand is how in the world can nothing create something? How, how can that be? We, we've got to come to that place of understanding. You, you know what? The universe operates by uniform laws. Have you noticed that? You, you, listen, th there's a thing called gravity. You can tell me I don't believe in gravity. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Let me take you up about four stories. Tell you to walk off. You'll believe in gravity when you land. It's a law. It's an unalterable law of the universe. There, there was somebody who called it. There was something. Well, it, it just spun out. It, it just happened. Really? I, I mean, I was recently in Washington, D.C., and we went to the uh, Nas National History Museum or whatever, Natural History Museum, and... Uh, and as I walked in, there was this big sign that, that said, Welcome to your family. So I'm thinking, man, some of my, my relatives are hanging out here. I didn't know it, but they got all the way to Washington, D.C. Probably in a paddy wagon, but they got there. And, and uh, I turned the corner, and it, and it said 37 billion years ago. And I thought, I don't know any of them that long ago. And then as I walked down the hall, they told me who my relatives were. And I want to tell you, a muskrat is not my relative. <laughs> Amen. I mean, they, they had all kind of creatures in there that said, this is your relatives. Now, now I've got some family that act like animals. 
sure you probably do too, but I, I want to tell you, my, my, I, I didn't come from, I, I mean, I, I believe that, that God said, let there be, and there was. I, I believe that's how we all got here. You, you know, the, the Word of God lets us know that these uniform laws, there are 24 hours in a day. I don't care how you slice it, there's going to be 24 today, there's going to be 24 tomorrow. Listen, if evolution were really true, that ought to be changing. That, that ought to be, if there is no God, these things ought to be in, in you know, the speed of light ought to be changing. It's, it's interesting that the laws of nature don't change. And, and when we understand that, we've got to believe in something. Call it what you will, but something that was before the beginning who brought everything into existence so there's a cause there's causation the second argument is the argument from design is there a god yes i believe that design tells us there is a god in other words something that operates in such a precise fashion as the universe i don't believe it's an accident i mean how how could it be an accident to to watch the planets and 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 the solar system and all these things i mean if if the earth were just to to move just a few miles one way we'd burn up if it moved a few miles the other way we'd freeze to death if it if all of a sudden the moon didn't give the gravitational pull there, there would be the oceans would overwhelm the land all of these things but it's just right there is a designer Years ago, a theologian discussed it this way. He said, if you're walking in a field and you trip over a rock, somebody says to you, when that rock get there? You may go, I don't know. How did it get there? Don't have a clue. He said, but if you're walking in a field and you see a watch, he said, if somebody asks you, how did it get there? You're going to say, somebody had to put that watch there. And not only that, he said somebody had to design the watch. The intricacies of a watch, the best Swiss-made watch that there is, does not compare with the intricacies of the design of this universe. And so you have to believe in one who is a designer of the universe. There had to be somebody who, who brought all of this into existence. There had to be someone who created the world. There had to be someone who put it together. I mean, look at the fall. Look at as you enter in the fall, all of a sudden the leaves start changing color. They fall to the ground. Why do they do that? They do that so that they'll return to the dust, that they'll bring forth nutrients, that the trees can do it all over again. Who created that design? Who designed all of these things? I mean, have, have you ever, who designed a bumblebee? A bumblebee, according to aerodynamics, should not fly. But there was a creator who said, I'm going to throw a few, few things in there to just mess with your world. So he created bumblebees and a few people <laughs> to mess with our world. And, and so there's, there's this designer, you know, uh, I mean, think about this. Every living thing that's on this planet has to have water to exist. I mean, God created water. It's colorless, we hope. It's odorless. doesn't have any taste. But without it, we don't survive. God, God, and God did it just right. He put enough in every place that we were going to be to make sure. And, and, and we go, well, it, you know, it just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. 
no more than this watch that I'm wearing today just showed up in a box one day without somebody designing it and putting it together and making it and then selling it and then I bought it and I wore it. Why? Because somebody designed it. There is a creator who is a designer and he has designed this universe that we live in. The third argument, if you want to, from this perspective of why we believe in God is what I'll refer to as a moral argument. And that is this, the knowledge of right and wrong is universal. Now, it's different in different cultures, I understand, but every society has a system of right and wrong. A lot of you know that I am from Africa. My parents were missionaries and I was born in Liberia, West Africa. My parents went to Liberia in the mid-1950s. We lived in the jungle. You had to cut your way through to get back there. And my father was the one who took the gospel to a lot of villages that nobody had taken the gospel to. In fact, when he would walk in as a white man, most of the time they thought he either was a god or a devil because they had never seen a white person before. And yet, without exception to every village, to every place that he went, they had a moral understanding that there were good things and that there were evil things. In fact, not only did they have a moral understanding of good things and evil things, in every village without exception, they had what they referred to as a good God and a bad God. You would be walking down a trail, and all of a sudden, you would come to a clearing, and there would be some bananas or a pineapple or mangoes or whatever, and you would ask somebody, what is that for? And they would say, oh, we are offering a sacrifice to our God. But what their sacrifice was, it was to the bad God because their concept was if we appease the bad God, he will leave us alone and the good God will take care of us. You know what? Why do people who have never heard the gospel, who have never seen a Bible, who have never experienced anything that would be in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, why is it that inside of them they understand good and evil? I believe with all of my heart it is because God has created us with a moral sense of how you and I are to live. And to me, that again indicates that there is a God. If there is morality, then I believe with all of my heart that there is a God who is alive and He is ruling and reigning. The fourth declaration today is what I will refer to as a biblical declaration. Now, to those of us who are Christian, I assume that we accept the authority of the Scriptures. Amen. Thank you. I believe with all of my heart that the Word of God is the final authority on faith and on doctrine. And so we have settled, as a Christian, I have settled this today by the Word of God, and here's how I've settled it. The Word of God declares to me, God is. I don't need anything else today. Now, somebody else may need 15 arguments. All that I need is to believe the Word of God, and the Word of God says God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all I need. And when I have that, then I can begin to operate from a biblical perspective today. I know that God exists. How do I know that God exists? Because the Word of God tells me that He exists. The final one this morning, though, is this. 
And I save this and I put this at the very end because if I were to have started with this, people who are atheistic or agnostic would tell me, well, you can't do that. You, th this is all subjective. And that is this. The fifth way that you can know that there is a God is through what I want to refer to as personal experience. Now, it's interesting to me that every person that I've ever talked with who says, I don't believe in God, will tell me a personal experience of why they don't believe in God. Something bad happened to them. They prayed and they didn't get an answer. Something took place that, that whatever it is, there's always a personal experience. But then as a Christian, when I try to use a personal experience, they tell me that's too subjective. You can't do that. I want to tell you, I believe one of the reasons that you and I can know that there is a God is when we encounter him. And that, that's not always an emotional thing. I don't think encountering God has to be some emotional experience. I believe that there is in all of our lives who have come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that there was a moment, there was a time in our life where Jesus Christ became real to us where it wasn't all of a sudden something that we were struggling with. It wasn't all of a sudden something that we were going through, but that at a moment we understood that God loved us and that God had given His Son on our behalf that we could have eternal life. And in that moment, something happened. To every person who has ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ and His love for them, the Bible says how that we were still sinners and Christ died for us. While we were still living our own way, doing our own thing, Jesus Christ died on our behalf. And you know what? For every one of us who have experienced that today, you can come to us and you can tell us the legalistic argument against God. You may even have a mathematical formula to prove there is no God. But I want to tell you, we've experienced Him. And here's what you need to understand. A man or a woman with an experience will always win against a person with an argument. You, you can tell me, you know what? I don't believe in chocolate. I don't care. You can have all kind of reasons why chocolate isn't good. You, you can have all kind of explanations about why you shouldn't have it and why the ingredients of it don't create the right kind of taste. You can do all that you want to. But I've experienced chocolate. In fact, I'm planning on experiencing some before the day's over just because I'm talking about it. And, and you, you can tell me, here, here's the reason why. I, it, I don't care. I have experienced chocolate, and chocolate is good. Now watch. The Bible says, taste and see, for my God, He is good. So you can tell me that there is no God. You can tell me why all the reasons that I shouldn't have this God in my life. But I have already tasted 
I've already experienced, I've already come into contact with them. And just because you have an argument doesn't do one thing to me because I have an experience. And I have experienced the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have experienced how he has saved me from my sins. I have experienced through the years of pastoring, watching as lives have been transformed from all kind of dysfunction and all kind of problems and all kind of issues. And I've watched as people have come into contact with God Almighty and their lives have been changed and their experience has brought them to another place with God. And you've come along way too late to argue me out of my belief in God. I want you to know, I believe, we as a congregation and as a ministry, we believe in God for all the reasons that I've talked about today. But the greatest reason that we believe in God is because we have experienced Him. We know Him. We have a relationship with Him. See, I close with this. When you look at the whole aspect of why we believe in God, there's the external testimony of creation as you look at cause and design, etc., etc. But there is, I believe, even above that for a Christian, the internal testimony of our conscience that says, we have tasted, we have seen, and He is good that's our word today and that's why we believe in god almighty